Hi, thank you for joining us for today's message from Calvary in Lake Havasu City, Arizona. Today we continue the message to a messed up church series with a discussion on the practice of spiritual gifts taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You can follow along with the life notes by downloading them from our website at calvaryaz.com forward slash life notes. Now, here is Pastor Chad Garrison. I'm going to invite you to take a seat and grab your Bible or your Bible app and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians 12 is our text, and as always, if you don't have a Bible with you, that's fine. Grab one of the Bibles in the seats around you. Turn to page 1139. 1139, you'll find 1 Corinthians 12. You'll be able to follow along with us. And, uh, and if you're here and you don't have a Bible and you want to read Scripture uh, and you don't have access any other way, then, then take one. It's our gift to you. We want you to have a Bible and read the Bible because we know if you read and apply God's Word, God will change your life. And so that's our gift to you. Take it seriously. And, uh, and I'm glad you're, you're here this evening. Uh, it is a weekend of women's retreat. And so we've got uh, about 120 women up in Williams enjoying much cooler weather. And, uh, you know, if they, I guess they could plan it in July if they really wanted to get away from the, the heat. But uh, I'm glad you guys are here. There's a lot of exhausted dads around here. And they're like, we're going to church. There's child care for an hour. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm going to be there with the kids. Uh, and uh, they may not look good, but uh, I'm going to have them there. So anyway, uh, glad you are here. And speaking of kids, speaking of, of children, how many parents are in the room? Okay? Okay. You know what a parent is. So if you're a parent, how many parents have ever been annoyed by your kids fighting? That's every parent in the room. Okay? If you're a parent, you're, unless, you, unless you're like a parent of a brand newborn and it's your only child and you're like, oh, it's so sweet, I, it, you'll, you'll get there. So don't worry about that. It used to frustrate me to know, and, and, uh, and I would tell the girls, you know, because I had two do- have two daughters, and, and they were younger, and they would fight over stupid stuff, just absolutely ridiculous things, and I would get so frustrated. I'd go, guys, just, just get along. It, it, it just changes everything. You're not fighting everything worthwhile, and they never listened to me, right? Now they're parents, <laughs> and my daughter has come to me and said, I understand why. You were so frustrated over these senseless arguments and these senseless fights and they don't make any sense and if you could just get along everybody in the house would be happy and and peaceful and I go yeah that's that's the case so uh, senseless conflict frustrates me I'm just telling you right now senseless conflict frustrates me which is why most church conflicts frustrate me I mean, I've been in church for 61 years of my 61-year-old life. And, uh, and from the time that I was old enough to uh, understand what was going on, churches were fighting over stuff, and most of it was senseless, okay? Stupid. It didn't make it, it, there was no point to it. It wasn't about things that mattered. And, and speaking of senseless fights, the church has been fighting about spiritual gifts and how they are used, how they are manifested, how they are understood from its very beginning. That's why the Apostle Paul is addressing to the Corinthian church about spiritual gifts. And look, I grew up in churches where they were argued about and fought over as well. And so today we're continuing our study through 1 Corinthians, message to a messed up church. And and it's the second week of us looking at spiritual gifts. So in case you missed it last week or you've slept since then, 
the last week we talked about the purpose of spiritual gifts. And we talked about how God gives us spiritual gifts as he chooses in order to build up his church. To each one who's a follower of Jesus is given the manifestation of the spirit, the gifts, for the common good. And, and, and God gives those gifts as he chooses, as the spirit decides in our lives. We don't get to choose those gifts. And there is one body, that's the church of Jesus Christ, one body, one God, and yet there's many gifts, many different gifts. We're all different, we're all parts of the body, we're all different, and we're all gifted differently. But we are one body. And here at Calvary, we believe the Bible is the inerrant, inspired word of God that tells us what to believe and how to live. And so uh, we have five essential doctrines, and none of those are about spiritual gifts. None of our essential doctrines are about spiritual gifts. So like we've got doctrines about it, but, uh, but here's the thing. We desire unity and love and purpose, not uniformity of thought. So I say that because you don't have to agree with what we teach about spiritual gifts. If you grew up in a different tribe or tradition and, and you go, I have really strong convictions, that's fine. But be biblical. That's the thing we want you to do. We want you to be biblical. So whatever you believe, check it out. Make sure that Scripture supports what you believe. Because my story is I disagree with my tribe and what they teach about spiritual gifts. You know why? Because I read the Bible. And some of the things they taught me weren't in there. Some of the things they taught me that they said, oh, it's really obvious, weren't really obvious when you read it. I was like, I don't see it. And so uh, I, I said, you know what, I'm going to be biblical and, uh, and that doesn't, because I really don't care about being Baptist. I care about being Jesus. And so we're going to be biblical. And, and if you disagree with me, that's fine. Just be biblical in understanding that. And then understand that while we don't all have to agree on the gifts, we all do have to treat each other with respect. Because at Calvary, we're not fighting over this. We're going we're gonna to unite in love and about the mission of leading people to a life-changing relationship with Jesus. And it's not just spiritual gifts. That's most of the things that Christians argue about in churches. So let's talk about the practice of spiritual gifts. And, and I have to start with the obvious, because if you grew up in church like I did, you know that this was discussed, argued about, fought over, uh, became a source of battle between churches, and that is the battle about tongues. The battle about tongues. Uh, and if you don't know what we're talking about, then you didn't grow up in church, and praise God, uh, this is all going to be new to you. So uh, just listen and have a lot of fun with this. So let me give you a little bit of biblical history. Uh, when we talk about tongues, we're talking about an event that occurred the first time on the day of Pentecost. So Jesus ascends to heaven. He leaves his disciples, his apostles, about 40 people that were gathered together waiting for the promised Holy Spirit. They didn't know what that promise would look like. Jesus had told them about it. He had taught them about it. He said, stay in Jerusalem and pray. And so they're praying. And on the day of Pentecost, which was actually a feast that the, the Jewish people were celebrating, uh, they were in an upper room and the Holy Spirit came and inhabited every single uh, believer in Jesus. Every follower of Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and from that day forward, everyone who confesses Jesus as their Savior, everyone who believes that Jesus is the one and only Son of God and Savior of the world, who believes that Jesus died on the cross to pay for their sins, was raised from their dead, and has made a commitment to follow Jesus. When you make that commitment to follow Jesus, God the Holy Spirit inhabits your life, okay? So, so that happened the first time on the day of Pentecost. And it was evidenced by all kinds of crazy stuff, okay? A strong wind blowing, looked like there were tongues of fire falling, and then the people that the Spirit fell on began to speak in languages they didn't understand. Now, the people around them 
the crowd of people around them from all over the world that had come there for that celebration, they understood those languages because they were speaking in Latin or they were speaking in uh, Egyptian or they were speaking in Persian. And they, they heard all these different languages and they went, wow, these people are uneducated Galileans. <laughs> you know, it's like they're from Bullhead City or something. And uh, <laughs> don't hate, okay? That's just... It's just part of it. So it's like, but they were like, they were making fun of them. And they go, uh, how do they, they don't know these languages. How do they speak these languages? That was the first time the Holy Spirit showed up. Of course, 3,000 people confessed Jesus as Lord that day uh, because that's what the Holy Spirit shows up to do, to promote Jesus. So everything was cool. And, and all the believers were Jews for about the first 10 years. And then there was this persecution, a guy named Paul, started persecuting the church, and they scattered, and some of them went to Samaria. By the way, Jews didn't like Samaritans. And Samaritans started believing in Jesus, and the apostles went up there to check it out. And when they got there, they prayed for him, and the Holy Spirit came on them in exactly the same way that he had on the, uh, the apostles on that first day. On the Samaritans, when they confessed Jesus, and they spoke in tongues, and, and all, the, all these, and, and it was, and, you know, the in Acts chapter 8, that happened. And then, not very long after that, Peter was told by God to go and share the gospel with a Gentile, God forbid. And he went to this guy's house named Cornelius, and he shared the gospel, and Cornelius and his whole household believed in Jesus, and they began to speak in tongues in the same way that the apostles had on the very first day. Now, that happened three different times, three different uh, record, records of that, and it happened every time the Holy Spirit crossed a line that the people didn't think God would cross. Let me say that again. The gospel crossed the line from Jews to Samaritans. The Jews would never have gone to the Samaritans, would not expect God to treat the Samaritans the same way that he treated the Jews. And yet he did that exact same thing. Holy cow, they have the same spirit we have. They, they, they are experiencing the same things that we have. The same manifestation of the spirits on them that was on us. They got it too. Well, okay, Samaritans are in. Jews and Samaritans. And then when Peter went to Cornelius' house and it happened, he was shocked. You know why? Because the Gentiles had the same spirit that the Samaritans and the Jews had. Nobody was thinking that could happen. Nobody. It was a complete and utter shock to them. And they went, wow, uh, we didn't see that happening. So, uh, now, by the way, that didn't happen every time someone believed. It happened each time the gospel crossed a barrier, a line that nobody expected it to cross. So, you know what will happen next? If, if aliens are real and they show up and we share Jesus with them and they confess Jesus, it's going to happen then. All right? I'm just, I'm just telling you. Suddenly we'll be able to understand them. It'll be great. Um, so that's the biblical history that, that I wanted you to understand. And then, you know, in America, we've got some history too, because in the last hundred years, kind of as, you know, freedom and democracy merged with uh, religion and churches kind of started doing their own thing and separating out from the, the denominations that controlled them and birthed them and all that kind of stuff. And, and it really was uh, an American kind of thing. Churches have started fighting over lots of stuff and splitting over lots of things. You go to the South and they got First Baptist Church and they got Second Baptist Church and then they've got, you know, Friendship Baptist Church down the street and then they've got, you know, the, the worst one is Unity Baptist Church because they don't have any. Uh, but they just keep splitting and fighting over things. Uh, some of you got that because you've been in the South. <laughs> Never go to a church with Unity in its name. Uh, 
But uh, uh, that's, that's too far. But anyway, uh, but churches have been fighting for this last hundred years over this, this issue of tongues and spiritual gifts and how they're manifest in the church. And the question becomes this. Is the gift or the manifestation of the spiritual gift of tongues required as evidence of the Holy Spirit? Now we just sing songs about the Holy Spirit, a couple of them, about how God he changes lives and he's welcome here. And, and the question then becomes, is the manifestation of the Holy Spirit evidenced by people speaking in tongues? And, uh, and I've you know, been there when some people said to me, if you don't speak in tongues, then you're not saved. And I've been there when people said, if, if you don't speak in tongues, then you don't have that deeper spiritual life, a second awakening, second blessing, uh, whatever you want to call it. And, and so they, they basically said, if you don't speak in tongues, then you don't have the Holy Spirit like I do. And, and so the question then becomes, what is evidence of the Holy Spirit in our lives? So I want to talk about biblical evidence of the Holy Spirit. Biblical evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life. And, and I just want to mention three biblical evidences of the Holy Spirit where Scripture clearly says this is evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life. The first one is simply your confession that Jesus is Lord. Okay? 1 Corinthians 12, verse 3. The Apostle Paul says, Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. Okay, so confession of faith in Christ is where your evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life is, work, is, is showing up. The Spirit is working on you. That's why you say, Jesus is Lord. That's why you confess. That's why you submit. That's why you surrender, because the Holy Spirit is working in your life. It, you know, you, I don't know about you, but I've shared, you know, Jesus with people or talked to people about Jesus. And if they're not interested, they're not interested. You know, you can talk to them. They're like, I don't care. I don't care what you say. It doesn't matter your story. It doesn't matter your testimony. It doesn't matter anything. They're just not interested because they're not interested. By the way, you know what that means? That means the Holy Spirit's not working in their life. You can beat your head against the wall. You can be an annoying friend. You can beat a dead horse or kick a dead horse or ride a dead horse. You can do whatever you want with it. It's not going anywhere unless the Holy Spirit is involved in their life. And when they confess Jesus, it's evidence because no one confesses Jesus as Lord except by the Holy Spirit. The second evidence biblically of the Holy Spirit in your life is the fruit that you bear. The fruit that you bear. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, the same Apostle Paul says this, but the fruit of the Holy Spirit is, thank you, some of you guys know this, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Okay, th this is evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life by the fruit that you bear in your life. In other words, the character that you live, does it reflect the character of Jesus? If it does, Holy Spirit is there. If it doesn't, big question mark. Now, even though I went to, you know, Bible churches that were not teaching much about spiritual gifts other than they don't exist anymore, uh, I will say this. There was not a lot of evidence of the Holy Spirit in a lot of people who were leading the churches. I'm just going to be real honest. That's, that's a tragic statement to make. There were a lot of people who had evidence of the Holy Spirit in their lives, but a lot of them didn't. 
And, uh, and, and that's, that's important to note because this is a biblical evidence of the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit's in your life, that fruit that is gonna produce in your life looks like that. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Third evidence, biblically, of the Holy Spirit in your life is that you become witnesses for Jesus. Jesus said this, last words, for he ascended to heaven for his apostles, Acts chapter one, verse eight. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Ooh, we like that part, don't we? And then what's gonna happen next? And you, when you receive the power, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, in Judea, they were cool with that part. In Samaria, he's talking about years later when they finally are obedient because they have to. And to the uttermost parts of the earth, you're gonna be my witnesses to the world. So evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life is you leading people to a life-changing relationship with Jesus. It's influencing people to follow Jesus. That's the evidence. Look, I got, I got a problem if we know Jesus loves us and we know Jesus loves people and we let people go throughout life without trying to tell them that Jesus loves them. Hey, look, that's why we exist as a church, to lead people to a life-changing relationship with Jesus. You know why? Because we want the Holy Spirit here. We want evidence of him in our lives and in our church. And I think that evidence happens in the waters of baptism. It happens at the lake when we baptize 70 people. It happens when you are inviting your friends to come to church with you. That's evidence that the Holy Spirit is in your life. Now, I share those biblical evidences of the Holy Spirit in your life, but nowhere does Scripture say that speaking in tongues demonstrates that you have the Holy Spirit or you are more surrendered or more filled or more yielded than someone else? In fact, again, be biblical. Listen to what Paul says, and I'm gonna ask you to respond out loud. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27 through 30. So it's the end of this chapter. I'm not gonna reread everything that I read last week, but I am gonna learn how to turn a page here in just a minute. That's the problem with these thin pages. Can someone come help me turn a page? <laughs> All right. Paul says, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. You guys got that? Yeah. Okay, we know who we are. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Okay, you guys aren't sure. Okay, just, just, he's asking a question. So he assumes an answer. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Do all work miracles? No. Do all possess gifts of healing? No. Do all speak with tongues? No. Do all interpret? No. But earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you a still more excellent way. But that's next week. That's when we talk about love. 1 Corinthians 13. Okay, so according to the Apostle Paul, does everyone speak in tongues? No. No, no they don't. Again, just trying to be biblical. Uh, and I'll confess. Uh, I think I shared it last week too. I, I have not spoken in tongues, but it's not because I didn't ask God to let me speak in tongues. I've prayed to speak in tongues multiple times in my life. Uh, but it's, it's like when I've been in the Ukraine and in China 
and in Nigeria and in Mozambique and places like that where I wanted to be able to communicate in the language of people that I did not know their language. And I said, God, let me have that gift of tongues so that I can suddenly preach in their language. Because I, I just was like, it'll be cool. All right, I, I just being selfish, but I thought it'd be powerful too. I think people would sit up and listen. Uh, God did not answer my prayer. But whatever you believe about gifts, please hear this next statement. Uh, we believe that all the gifts are present and active today in order to build the church. But we don't evaluate anybody based on their spiritual gifts. So we're not gonna judge you more or less spiritual if you speak in tongues or don't speak in tongues. We're not gonna judge you more or less speech, spiritual if you heal people or don't heal people, if you're able to teach or not able to teach, if you work miracles or don't work miracles, if you're great at administration or not. We just want you to use whatever your gifts are for Jesus. Now, if you're wondering, well, what are you impressed by? What do you evaluate and judge people by? We talked about it a few minutes ago. Right? Do you confess Jesus? Does your life reflect the character of Jesus? And are you using your life to be a witness for Jesus? That's what we're looking and saying, hey, this is somebody who is filled with the Spirit and God is using them to make a difference in this world. Now, that leads us to the second point, which is spiritual gifts are revealed by serving Jesus. Spiritual gifts are revealed by serving Jesus. Um, hey, did anybody do the spiritual gift inventory this last week? We talked about it last week. Okay, thank you. Eight people listened to me. That's great. Uh, it's, you can still go back in the notes from last week and pull it up on version and do it or find your bulletin and still do it. It's free. It doesn't cost you anything. It doesn't cost us anything either. But um, I, I did mine before I asked you guys to do it too, just to check it out and see. You know, and it said my uh, gift was administration, which is leadership and shepherding, uh, and, uh, which is kind of what I do. But uh, the truth is, they only help you a little bit uh, understanding about yourself, okay? And, and it may or may not be a help, but they, they help a little bit. But if you really want to know how God has gifted you, then you have to be serving, because as you serve God, you'll be surprised at how your giftedness becomes obvious over time. All right, um, so let me just tell you my story. I was raised in church. I'm the third of four boys, okay? So I, I never, rode into the, the, never rode in the front seat of a car until I got my own permit. Uh, and uh, because, you know, that younger brother, you get, you get the back. You get the middle. I hated the middle. Uh, and, uh, and all that. But look, can I just tell you, growing up, I, 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 I was a follower. I was taught to follow. I had a disciplinarian parents. You do what you're told. I had older brothers, so if I didn't do what they said, then I'd get, you know, pain. So I, I look, I grew up a follower, and, uh, you know, that, that's just what I was. There's no evidence of leadership in my life. Uh, you can ask my wife. She knew me when I was 14 and 15 and 16 years old. That's when she wouldn't date me. And, uh, <laughs> and at 16, I, I surrendered to God, I just said, look, I don't like me and you love me, so you can have control of my life. That, that, was, that was me surrendering. I'd already confessed Jesus as my Savior when I was eight. Uh, at, at 17, I, I said, God, you're calling me into ministry, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna follow you in ministry. And, he, and first, he gave me an opportunity to lead in the youth group. 
And then he gave me an opportunity to lead in our college group. And, and then I started getting invited to speak to youth groups on retreats and at camps. And then uh, at 20, I became a youth pastor. And at 29, I became the pastor of Calvary. And, and looking back, it's obvious now that, that God, this, the spiritual gift that he gave me was leadership because I didn't have any until I said, God, you can have my life. And, that, and that's it. But you know how that came became evident was the fact that I was serving God. I was doing what he opened the door for me to do. And I, as I used my giftedness, or as I used my abilities, as I used my, that passion to invest in teenagers, then, then the rest started to become obvious. So let me just give you a couple of warnings from my own experience growing up in church and being around church and being with people. Uh, so warnings of, from my church experience are simply uh, two things. First of all, don't allow gifts to excuse you from serving. Please don't allow gifts to excuse you from serving. Uh, I've, I've been there when somebody said, hey, can you help us with this? And somebody actually had the audacity to answer, no, that's not my gifting. No, I'm not gifted that way. And, and uh, now I would just choke you out. But um, <laughs> then, well, not really, but uh, I would probably verbally choke you out. And uh, if I heard that, but then I just filed that away in memory like that's wrong. What I wish I'd said then was, you know, I don't think Jesus was gifted to wash the feet of the disciples. But he did it because he's a servant first. And so if you say, well, I'm not gifted at that. Uh, if God opens the door for you to serve, then serve. And, and as you are faithful in serving, guess what God's going to do? He's going to put you in a position to use your gifts and talents and abilities for his church and his kingdom and use your life in a powerful way to make a difference. And God gave us gifts to be effective servants. And if we're not serving, then we are being ineffective servants. Um, so think about that. So don't, use, don't allow gifts to excuse you from serving. And then don't focus on gift discovery Focus on using your gifts. Don't focus on gift discovery. Focus on using your gifts. Um, I can't tell you how many lazy Christians I've been around, obviously in other churches, not this one, that couldn't wait for the next class on spiritual gifts or the next gift assessment tool, but they never did anything for the kingdom of God. They, they, they just didn't. And honestly, if you really want to know your gift, then put down the gift assessment and pick up the towel or the shovel or the ministry need and serve. Serve within your passion, what you really care about. Serve with your energy and enthusiasm. Serve to honor Jesus and build his church. That's why he gifted you anyway. And if you're doing that, you're, you'll discover your gift. And if you don't, here's the cool part. If you still don't know what your giftedness is, you won't care because you're too busy being used by God to lead people to a life-changing relationship with Jesus. You really won't. I remember when I was, uh, you know, 17, 18, and people, oh, it's your spiritual gifting. And I was like, I don't know, but I hope it's this, I hope it's that. And, and then I started serving God, and you know what? I realized I don't care what my spiritual gifting is. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at all. Because I get to serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who loved me and gave himself up for me and I get to lead other people to that life-changing relationship with Jesus and there is nothing better than that. So are you a servant of Christ? Yes. Let me ask again. Are you a servant of Jesus? Yes. Okay. 
then serve him with your gifts and your talents and your passion and your energy and your creativity. Give him all that you are and he will bless you. Now again, like last week, uh, we, and we've already mentioned this, but there are opportunities to sign up to serve for Halloween, uh, blessing kids with candy on Main Street and playing, having a good time, uh, Night to Shine, our, our prom event for those with special needs. It's a beautiful night, February. And our Limitless Campaign, because this isn't just about this weekend or next weekend, but it's about the weekends that are to come for a generation or until Jesus shows back up again. And we wanna provide uh, a place for people to come and worship and join you and see life change happen beyond where we are now. We're gonna need your help to do that. January, February, we're gonna have a limitless campaign and we want you to be a part. Walk back there, there's a way that you can serve using your passions, your talents, your abilities, and your giftedness. We're trying to give you an opportunity to do that in the name of Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for saving us. And thank you for allowing us to be your servants. And, and God, we just, uh, we confess our selfishness. We confess our laziness. We confess uh, that sometimes we just don't want to. And we ask that you'd forgive us. We ask that you would change our hearts and our desires so that however you made us, we can honor you with our gifts and our abilities, our time and our energy and our creativity, our passions can be used for the glory of God and for the name of Jesus. So Father, I pray that you would meet us here, meet us in our homes, you speak to our hearts, and God, I pray that we would yield to you because you're the one who gave everything for us. This is our prayer. We ask it in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You know, sometimes the term spiritual gift evokes an impression that these giftings are supernatural talents. They may be as simple as a comfort level talking with people you don't know that could make you an ideal person to be part of your church's greeter ministry. Maybe you have a way of making the complex easy to understand and you should teach. Whatever your gift is, it's likely something innate in you from God. Considering God has gifted you, you want to use it for His glory. And for that, you will be blessed. Well, that's it for today. Have a great week. Bye-bye.